DW Africa Link The Sahel region's five-member intergovernmental organization that has been fighting terrorism with international support is now in tatters. Niger, Burkina Faso and Mali have all exited. What could happen next if the G5 Sahel has only Chad and Mauritania left while armed extremist groups continue to crisscross the Sahel? I'm Isaac Mugabe and you're listening to the story of the week on DW Africa Link. But first, Okering Mujinado will bring you the world news in brief. DW News. Hello, I am Okeri Gushinado. The UN Security Council is voting on a resolution for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. This comes two days after Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez made the unprecedented step of invoking Article 99 of the UN Charter. Article 99 allows the Secretary General to bring to the attention of the Security Council any matter which, in his opinion, may threaten the maintenance of international peace and security. Russian President Vladimir Putin has announced his candidacy for next year's presidential elections, which are slated for March 2024. Speaking at an award ceremony for army personnel at the Kremlin, Putin said there was no other way but for him to contest the vote. The 71-year-old has won four presidential ballots and briefly served as prime minister in a system where opposition has become virtually non-existent. About 250 South Sudanese soldiers left the Democratic Republic of Congo's Goma City on Friday, the latest group from the East African Community, EAC, regional force to withdraw from the strife-torn region. The seven-nation EAC first deployed troops in November 2022 at the invitation of the DRC authorities to free areas taken by the resurgent M23 rebel group. However, late last month, DRC had decided not to renew the force's mandate beyond December 8th. President Felix Chisekedi and local residents accused the force of cohabitating with the rebels rather than forcing them to lay down arms. EAC soldiers will be replaced with security forces from the Southern African Development Community, SADC. Sierra Leone ex-president Ernest Baikoroma today honored the country's police request to appear at the Criminal Investigations Department in the capital Freetown to assist authorities in investigating a recent attempted coup. Koroma, who went in for questioning, led the West African nation for 11 years until 2018. Africa Link News comes to you from Germany's international broadcaster, DW. Zimbabwe will hold nine by-elections this coming Saturday, with opposition candidates largely absent as President Emerson Monangwagwa cements his control over the mineral-rich nation. A political crisis has been growing since a group of MPs with the main opposition party, Citizens Coalition for Change, had their seats declared vacant. A court ruled on Thursday that most of the CCC contenders could not stand in Saturday's vote. The ruling ZANU-PF will now pick up some easy votes as it moves closer to changing the constitution. Taiwan says a suspected military surveillance balloon crossed the median line dividing it from mainland China. Military officials say the balloon passed southwest of the port of Kelung before disappearing. There's also been large-scale movement of aircraft and ships. Taipei is on high alert for Chinese efforts to interfere in its presidential election on January 13th. In recent years, China has ramped up military and political pressure on Taiwan, which it claims as its own territory. 
Taiwan's Defense Minister Chiwo Guocheng said they are monitoring the situation. We are paying attention to that. Maybe the balloon was blown in our direction due to the monsoon. Our initial understanding is that it was a weather balloon. And finally, music promoters are threatening to disrupt Congolese singer Kofi Olomide's planned mega-concert in Kenya on Saturday over a 2016 debt. The promoters in Sana Productions say the 67-year-old Roomba star violated terms for a March 2016 concert for which they want a refund of 65,000 US dollars. Olomide was in 2016 blocked from performing and thrown out of Kenya for allegedly assaulting one of his female dancers. This is the first time the singer is returning to perform in Kenya after the incident. Olomide's lawyers termed the debt allegations as frivolous and without merit. That's the latest news on Africa Link. I am Okiri Gushinado. Welcome to the story of the week on DW Africa Link. I'm your host, Isaac Mugabe. In today's edition, our focus is on the expansive region, the Sahel region, and the so-called G5 Sahel Framework Organization to fight terrorism with the support of the international community there. This week, Niger and Burkina Faso followed Mali in pulling out of the organization. It's still not clear what the remaining partners, Chad and Mauritania, will do. Here is what the Nigerian and Burkina Bay military leaders said in a statement. The governments of transition of Burkina Faso and Niger, after an in-depth review of the G5 Sahel and its operations, have decided to withdraw from all G5 Sahel bodies and organs, acting under their own authority. The organization is struggling to achieve its objectives. While still, the legitimate ambitions of our states to make the G5 Sahel a zone of security and development are thwarted by institutional red tape and old-fashioned burdens that convince us that the path to independence and dignity on which we are now embarked runs counter to participation in the G5 Sahel in its current form. The G5 Sahel cannot serve foreign interests the detriment of those of the peoples of the Sahel. Still, let's accept the dictat of any power whatsoever in the name of a misguided and infantilizing partnership that denies the right to sovereignty of our peoples and our states. Now you may know that the G5 Sahel came into being in 2014, shortly after the Arab Spring era. Tuareg rebellion in Mali had started expanding into a full-blown Islamist insurgency across the region. A French military intervention in Mali was still underway and attacks by extremist groups on military targets and civilians had set in throughout the Sahel. Their conflicts over land, resources and influence never actually stopped after the G5 Sahel interventions started. DW's Isaac Kalechi tells us more about this raging storm of uncertainty that affects Mali but the entire volatile region. Mali has witnessed a resurgence of tension in recent weeks following sporadic attacks on government installations by armed groups. The attacks are majorly concentrated in the restive north of the landlocked Sahel country. Last Friday, the military confirmed a suicide attack on one of its bases in Gao region. This attack 
happened a day after two separate assaults by Al-Qaeda-linked insurgents killed 49 civilians and 15 government soldiers. Dr. Shantanu Shankar, an analyst with Africa Economist Intelligence Unit, suggests that attacks in Mali have been triggered in part by the pullout of UN peacekeeping troops. Now, the attacks that took place, they took place in northern Mali, and northern Mali was where a lot of uh, the French forces were concentrated and the UN forces were also uh, heavily concentrated in these areas. Northern Mali was also the region that was the source of the Malian crisis initially. This gripping tale of insecurity sweeps across the expansive Sahel region, where sands of time meet the chaos of power and violent extremism. Some experts have warned that the security crisis could deteriorate if nothing is done to fight off militants and make the region safer for people. Mutari Mumuni Mokhtar is a security expert based in Ghana. This year could end up being the deadliest region, the deadliest year for terrorism in West Africa. In Burkina Faso, 40 soldiers were killed in an attack last week while in Niger, just literally days after the recent coup last month, there was an uptick in jihadist attacks against civilian and military targets. These violent attacks in the Sahel region are attributed to the support group for Islam and Muslims, the Jinim affiliated with Al-Qaeda. Analysts argue that lack of political stability has led to the current state of insecurity. Brown Postumus, an independent journalist reporting on West Africa, says the situation has further worsened under military regimes. As we do know, coups do not usher in an era of stability. They usher in eras of instability, and they have given the adversaries, the uh, um, non-state armed groups, the opportunity to increase their influence and their writ and uh, the areas they control. Mutaru Mumuni Mukhtar equally agrees that immediate return to democracy in the cool reading region will improve the security situation. That was Isaac Kalechi reporting from Ghana. Kalechi has also written an elaborate piece on insecurity in Sahel under military regimes. You can read more about it on our website, dw.com forward slash Africa. We invited the Sahel expert, Abjol Waldeng, to give you an idea of the security situation at the moment in the region that stretches from the Atlantic to the Red Sea. Well, I think it's very important to note that the G5 Sahel, the G5 in French, was really focused around the Western Sahel Francophone uh, countries. But Sahel itself is, is an Arabic term, uh, Sahel, which means coast. And so the Sahel has always comprised that entire region. And the, the, the hard reality is that beyond borders that were very much a result of the colonial uh, past, there there has always been a, a permeable permeability about the borders in the Sahel. There are a lot of different um, groups that, cut, uh, that are, you know, across borders in different countries and, and even at times, you know, nomadic groups that move across borders in different countries. So that is also part of the reason why the security situation is so alarming. And what we see in the Sahel is crisis of inter-communal uh, fighting, uh, a lot of times over dwindling resources in the context of extreme desertification uh, and, you know, obviously as a result of extreme climate events. But we also see a lot of weaknesses of central states 
and identity splitting to be more focused along uh, ethnic uh, you know, lines at times rather than to a uh, central state. And when you combine that with obviously a rise in non-state actors and Islamic extremism, you, you, you get the situation that we see now in the Sahel in which these actors can interact with uh, a long uh, intercommunal fighting and also uh, can interact in a way that can eventually entirely collapse. Thank you, Abiol Waldeng. We appreciate your insights. If you've just joined us for the story of the week on DW Africa Link, I'm Isaac Mugabe, and we are looking at what remains now that three of the five Sahel countries have pulled out of a decade-old organization to fight terrorism in the region. Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso are all former French colonies that are still newly controlled by military junta's after coups and pivoting sharply from the West to Russia. On Monday, when political analysts were still contemplating the possible collapse of the G5 Sahel organization, Niger's military leaders took things a step further and revoked two key security deals with the European Union. The one is the EU military partnership mission in Niger. The other, the EU civilian capacity building mission that dates back to 2012. Niger and Mali, meanwhile, also scrapped tax agreements with France. Political tensions between Niger, Burkina Faso and Mali and the EU have been on the bubble since the coup in July that saw the EU-friendly president, Bazoum, ousted amid broad anti-French and anti-West public sentiment. Abdul Walding, I'm sure you've followed the developments this week. What would you say could be the repercussions of the decision by the Niger Junta to cut those EU agreements? And while I can understand to a certain extent the logic for those uh, particular countries to cut the ties, I mean, they have not, in, in their opinion, they have not seen the logic of continuing you know, ties with the EU that they see as threatening their sovereignty by imposing certain conditions on them that they feel are not uh, important to the major needs of their people. But uh, so I think the disadvantage of this is that, you know, these states do become and could become weaker, you know, could could um, it could lead to certain non-state actors, certain Islamic uh, extremists believing that they uh, have a, an easier time to maybe, you know, take zones of these countries away uh, from, you know, from the central state without mm. uh, uh, fear of repercussions. And what could be the advantages? Now, the advantages, that does also help make it so that the countries maybe have some more legitimacy if they are um, trying to appeal to uh, the populations in, in their country that are um, maybe interested or targeted by these groups. Uh, if they are seen to be local, national movements against uh, a threat for all people versus something that is, you know, working in the interests of the West, which is sometimes some of the, you know, the thinking that can be employed mm. uh, against, um, you know, some of this EU cooperation. That that could also help these states be more legitimate and, and more able to resolve some of these threats. As someone who spent a decade working for humanitarian and international organizations in the Sahel, and Chad in particular, 
Which way do you think countries like Chad and Mauritania are likely to go right now? Right. Well, I think it's very important that you mentioned that um, just because, you know, as we, you know, we've discussed that the, there are, you know, ethnic groups and even families and even at times communities that live across these borders. Um, we see that in Chad in which there is in, in, uh, an incredible amount of Eastern Chad that is essentially the same as the Western Sudan. Uh, and, and likewise, we see that for Mauritania and other countries in the region. I think when we look at Chad, Chad um, is facing probably the biggest challenges that they have in a long time. You know, there is an active conflict in the Sudan. There is essentially what uh, many people, including uh, the Nor Norwegian Relief Council and, and others considered to be essentially an ethnic cleansing of groups uh, in Darfur, in Western mm. Sudan, that are um, essentially mainly taking refuge in Chad. And and unfortunately, sometimes the actors on, on all sides of that situation in Chad are also ethnic groups that are present in Chad. So Chad has a lot of major uh, issues going on right now. And so I think for them, while they are probably uh, inclined to to want to continue their cooperation with their fellow G5 Sahel former members, I think they also have to look at the wider uh, picture that's along the border. And I would say likewise for Mauritania, they're also uh, in a different in a different situation to a certain extent. And what about the international supporters of the G5 Sahel? I mean, France and the rest of the EU, also the United Nations. Where do they stand on the G5 Sahel now? I mean, obviously, I think that the UN and, and, and the EU, to a certain extent, have the same concerns. I mean, as do other countries, as do many of the, the Sahel uh, neighbors of uh, those three countries, Burkina Faso, Niger, and Mali. But I think for the UN, the, the, the major the thing that they've continued to note is that there are a lot of threats in this region. There's economic insecurity. There's a lot of intercommunitary violence. There's extremism. Uh, and obviously, there's also these major climate events. And so for them, the, the fear is really the exacerbation of the catastrophic, uh, of any potential catastrophic events at a time that the UN knows that they unfortunately don't have the, the resources to respond uh, in Africa, you know, due to, for example, the Ukraine uh, war and also a, a lot of uh, donor fatigue in in Western countries. And I think for the EU, the the issues are obviously around security, but clearly also around migration because you know many of the people from this region should they they choose to seek refuge or or leave the, the EU countries will often be their first. Uh, the first place that they all go. That's true. Debate over what to do with undocumented migrants from Africa and other places has certainly ramped up lately in Italy, Germany and Britain. So it does represent a, a key challenge for uh, the EU. And we also know that there are there are large diasporas of people from these countries within EU countries like France. And I think there's also a fear that similar to what we see in Israel-Palestine, some of these conflicts can can enter in and become um, an in, um, a factor of instability within the uh, Western countries among these communities. So I think that's the, the main thing. I think for France, it's I, th I think it's obvious that France has somewhat accepted that their role in the Sahel um, has changed. I mean, that's obvious, right, um, uh, between uh, these countries and France. On the other hand, it remains to be seen in these countries are able to truly shift away from uh, some of the cooperation with France because the French, um, the currency zones of the, in the Franc, you know, uh, CFA in Western Africa and Central Africa is linked to France. And whether it's good or bad, mm. it does provide these countries hard currency. 
If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Story of the Week on DW Africa Link. I'm Isaac Mugabe, and I'm in the company of Sahel region expert, Abiol Lualdeng. Now, talking about hard currency, Abiol Lualdeng, we know that counterterrorism operations don't come cheap. The EU alone has contributed around 550 million euros, and France gave sizable chunks to its former colonies for the purpose, too. We asked Mutaro Momoni Mukhtar, the executive director of the West Africa Center for Counter-Extremism, what he thinks Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso would be able to come up with in that regard, and he was rather blunt. They do not have enough funding. They do not have sustainable uh, economic muscle to be, to be able to deal with it sustainably. They do not have enough goodwill from the local population and other actors locally uh, to be able to deal with that. And so I don't see how far this would be would go in terms of their capacity to sustain the relationship in dealing with violent extremism. If you consider the kind of threat that is coming from ECOWAS and other regional bodies, uh, it makes sense in terms of protection of their own regimes and as deterrents for them to form this kind of alliance. Uh, but in terms of how effective this alliance could be against violent extremism remains to be seen because each of these countries are significantly challenged in terms of the operational capacity, in terms of sustainable funding, in terms of local goodwill to be able to deal with the threat. Well, this week, Nigerian junta leaders were in talks on defense cooperation with a Russian government delegation. Little of the meeting was made public. But at the same time, pledge for humanitarian aid came through to the junta in Mali from Russia's president, Vladimir Putin. Some political analysts in Africa are pessimistic over the new Niger Burkina Faso Mali confederation that is emerging. Abiol Lualdeng, which positive outcomes can you picture for these three countries and the region? Right. Well, I think one thing that could be positive out of these three countries uh, combining is that it might help these countries uh, to be able to uh, be stronger at facing these these major threats. I mean, they have, you know, Islamic extremist groups that at times are also fighting among themselves, right? And we see that with JNIM and also with the ISIS in the Greater Sahara that they fight themselves. So Mm -hmm. when these three countries come together and see the threats um, and the major issues that they have at hand as common, it could help provide, um, once again, legitimacy and also um, a way for them to be able to really combat those forces. So there there is some, uh, there's definitely some positive in that sense. I think also Obviously, there could there could increase some of the uh, economic trade between the uh, three countries, and uh, and also even to a certain extent from a human rights standpoint, there might be uh, there might be some room in there for you know human rights uh, actors inside those countries to you know push together um, for certain reforms. Um, so I think there are some positives and the downsides from a point of view. Uh, the disadvantage is that, unfortunately, because these are countries that uh, do not have democratically elected leaders, it will be key to see if they are able to offer a somewhat of a civilian transition. Uh, and there's also the risk that uh, as the ties with uh, the West get a bit worse, that they are pushed out, for example, of the CFA 
uh, currency zone, which you know could have some very, very strong. Uh, I'm Isaac Mugabe, your host on this edition of the Story of the Week on DW Africa Link, and we've been listening to Abiol Waldeng, an independent expert on the Sahel region. We are very pleased you found the time to share knowledge of this vast part of Africa with us today. Allow me to be a little bit personal. I come from Rwanda. Sure. You come from South sure. Sudan. Of course, my country is led by President Paul Kagame, a, a, a former or military ruler. And South Sudan is led by President Salva Kiir, who's also a general. What would you say to skeptics who say the new military rulers in the Sahel are interested in nothing more than holding on to power? Well, I think for skeptics, I think the, the main thing is that, you know, you, you have to have dialogue, right? It's very important to have dialogue and and, and look as to whether these rulers are going to, you know, uh, you know, put their money where their mouth is, you know, as they say here uh-huh. in the US. And it, it's very important to to have the dialogue to make sure that they do um, they do transition towards, you know, political uh, processes that that either see them elected or have them replaced by civilian rule. But I do think that the danger of some of the skepticism that mm-hmm. we see, uh, uh, honestly, from the international community, particularly from Western countries, is that there's a bit at times of a dismissal of the legitimacy of these leaders. And I think that we have seen in these countries, like particularly in Niger, that there is actually, they they might have quite a bit of political legitimacy, perhaps Mm. only in the capitals, Mm -hmm. uh, their respective capital cities, but they do seem to have some legitimacy on uh, from the from their own respective populations and i think that we have to remember that it is also those populations that will have to decide how they they want to go forward and the reality is they feel that the former civilian leaders did not fulfill the social contract um in many of these states so as such it's it's very difficult to say that mm. the military rule is, is wrong without looking at the wider uh, picture. Hey, you talk about the social contract. What would you say to anyone who is mindful about security and safety, especially for communities? Right. Well, I think once again, I'm going to I'm going to reiterate that the dialogue is so important. I think it is. I think the EU, the international community, and others cannot afford to allow the um, this region. Um, you, you know that the way in which the mm. the um, disapproval and maybe dissatisfaction with how these countries are being ruled, it will still be important to have dialogue with them because the threats that they face are huge and the uh, result of what happens in those places will have consequences on other places, North Africa, for example, and the EU uh, as well. So I think it's important to maintain the dialogue with these countries and, and also perhaps there needs to be a change in the way that dialogue is had uh, in which people who are citizens of those countries do feel that they're respected because I think that is one of the biggest uh, things that has been happening in this movement is that the citizens of these countries feel that they are, you know, even say things like they're being treated like children, you know, and feel like they are not respected and that they're maybe their culture, their value and their lifestyle is not respected by, um, by the West. We contacted the military leaders of Mali, Niger and Burkina Faso at the start of the week to hear how exactly the tree of Juntas now plant fighterism, but no response has been forthcoming. DW's Brown Posthumous has covered extensively the Sahel for many years, has his take. Right from the start then, this supposedly five-strong alliance had uh, all sorts of problems. 
One of them being, of course, the uh, financial aspect of it. France lobbied for a lot of money, got uh, Saudi Arabia to chip in, but um, I'm not quite sure whether there were any others who actually contributed. And since this thing was very much seen as France-driven, as it was designed to replace Operation Barkhane, which uh, at already at that time was showing signs of stagnation, even though there were some successes. But um, that is probably because most of the European and other alliance thought, okay, France's idea, you sort it out. Now, these five were supposed to deliver Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, Mauritania, and Chad were supposed to deliver 1,000 troops each, making it a force of 5,000 which then, of course, had to do with a whole bunch of different problems, including command and control. The fact that these armies come from different military traditions uh, are in uh, various stages of either strength or disarray, with Chad being arguably the only truly battle-hardened uh, army of the five, and uh, those of uh, Mali, Burkina Faso in various stages of disarray in Niger's army, okay, but weak. So all that amounted to just one major action that they conducted in the three border area between Mali, Niger and Burkina Faso, an area known as the Liptako Gurma. That was in 2017. Now, obviously, they had some success in 2017 ridding the area of uh, jihadists or self-styled jihadists, uh, extremists. But since then, the area has been overrun once again by Islamic State. And this is pretty much a result of Operation Barkhane withdrawing or being told to withdraw from. And so whatever declaration you see coming out of them, be it uh, that they're going to have their own currency, be it that, they have to, that they're going to have their own airline, be it that they have to have their own ministerial structures, it's basically going to go the same way as the G5 Sahel Force because it can't pay for itself and it's an expensive extra structure that none of the countries can afford having weak armies already themselves and uh, non-performing intelligence services. So there you have it, pretty much the story of the G5 Sahel and the alliance of the Sahelian states. Thank you to you, our listeners. I'm Isaac Mugabe with the story of the week on DW Africa Link with your producer, Benita van Aysen, and the rest of the team at DW Africa Link. Have a splendid weekend. DW Made for Minds.